here's the thing. Ever wonder why aspiring authors spend so much time trying to crack the code about how to get published? That's because no one who's in the daily grind like me has put all the pieces together in one place. It's Carly Waters here, and as your senior literary agent on the podcast with 15 years of experience in publishing, selling books, and teaching the business of publishing, I'm here to give you the clarity that will turn this hobby into a career. Inside my course, The Author's Publishing Playbook, we have monthly live Q&A sessions to cover your specific issues, but for the rest, there are over 40 video lessons that equal 10 hours of learning with professionally edited transcripts. The course will solve all your writerly problems, except write your book for you. That's on you. My course is a masterclass designed to teach writers how to prepare, pitch, publish, and promote their book in today's competitive publishing landscape. It's for career-driven writers, aspiring and published, who want to understand how to succeed in the business of books. There are over 20 worksheets, downloads, and plug-and-play templates for editing, querying, and marketing. You get lifetime access for the entire six-module course as soon as you purchase. As new content's added, you have access to that as well. Don't forget, there's a mobile app on top of computer access you can learn on the go. Get started today to gain the career you've only dreamed about. And you guys get a discount. So at checkout, carlywaters.com course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. That's carlywaters.com course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. See you inside the course. Hi, everyone. This is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6 at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th, also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there. there and welcome to our show, The Shit No One Tells You About Writing. I'm Bianca Murray and I'm joined by Carly Waters and Cece Lira from PS Literary Agency. Hi everyone, we're taking a break over July as we rest up, recharge our batteries and come up with even more amazing content for you. We'll be back again in August, but in the meantime, we'll be playing some awesome episodes from our archives that you might not have heard yet or that you might need reminders about. We hope you have a wonderful July and we look forward to diving back in soon. Today's guest really needs no introduction. You've heard us speaking about her so many times on the podcast, but here is the intro. Lily King is the award-winning author of the novels The Pleasing Hour, The English Teacher, Father of the Rain, and Euphoria, one of the New York Times Book Review's 10 Best Books of 2014, a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award, and winner of the Kirkus Prize. Also author of Writers and Lovers. She lives in Maine and 
it's my pleasure to welcome Lily King. Lily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for allowing me to stalk you on social media to the point that all of our listeners were putting so much pressure on you to please do an interview with me. (laughs) I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. What kills me is that up until about a month or two ago, I wasn't familiar with your work. And then I have this podcast and we have two amazing literary agents who come on every week and read query letters and opening pages to give feedback to listeners. And they were constantly carrying on about writers and lovers, writers and lovers. And we had a few people who submitted books about writing. And as agents, they said, look, editors don't really like books about writers or writing, etc. And then they go, but of course, Lily King's book is the exception. And that's amazing. (laughs) And everyone must read it. And then I read it. And I was like, oh, my God, I can understand why everybody loves this book. Was it a difficult book to pitch in terms of it being about writing and a writer or not? Because, I mean, you've had such success. So I suppose your editor will let you write about any damn thing you want. I ne- I don't um, I don't have to pitch my books because I, I never sell them before I've written them. I'm too scared to do that. I just, I, I can't. I think I would just breeze up. Um, and so they, she never, I've worked with the same editor for all of my books, but she never knows, never has any idea what's coming. I try really hard not to talk about it with her because I want her to read it completely fresh and not have any preconceptions or any idea of any of the struggles that I've had. I really want her to read it like a reader. Right. And uh, and so, yeah, I, at this one, I did write the first draft and I did, so I, I did sell it before it was completely done. And she saw initially 40 pages, but at that point like that, there was no other pitch. There was no other idea. So she either had to take it or leave it. <laughs> Well, and I read somewhere that after Euphoria, you started two other novels, scrapped both of them, and then started writing Writers and Lovers. And, you know, that's so encouraging for our listeners to hear because they feel like this only happens to them, that it doesn't happen to writers of your caliber. So could you speak a bit about that? Yeah, I've had a number of novels that I've abandoned. And thankfully, I I know pretty soon into it. And I I think, I I mean, I, I think when I get to 200 pages, I also think I know and I should abandon it, but it's too late. And so I never do, but I talk about it a lot and I think about it a lot. So I'm, I'm used to that feeling of not feeling like something is going well. I mean, it never, ever feels like it's going well, but with the, after euphoria, I did, I, I had another idea. I was really into it. I did a ton of research and uh, I took a lot of notes and thought I knew what I was doing and wrote about 20 pages and I got a better idea. I, I, that's all I can say is that I, I feel like that would have been fine. I would have finished it, but I was more attracted to something else. And I didn't have, you know, obviously I didn't have the commitment to it that I needed. And so then I had another idea, did a ton of research, took a lot of notes. was very, very excited about this book and it was going well, but then my mother died really suddenly. And I just, I could never, ever even open that notebook. I mean, I could not go near that novel and, uh, and, and not because it wasn't going well. I was excited about it, but it was about a mother, son, traveling in Europe in 1901. And it just suddenly felt very, very, very far away, like it was conceived by somebody else. So then I didn't write for months and months. And then when I did get an idea, it was 
this one. I saw Casey in the driveway with the dog and Adam, and I knew she had a novel in her potting shed and I knew her mother had just died. And I was like, oh, thank God. You know, I, I, I need to somehow write about these feelings that I've been having. Yeah. I've just gotten goosebumps. As you said that goosebumps Uh everywhere, because I mean, of course the novel is, is so much about grief, you know, it's, it's just like saturated into every single page, but also what you just said about seeing Casey in the driveway, because I also read in an interview you gave in which once you know that opening paragraph and that opening scene, then it's good to go. You can just find your way into, into the story. And so that came to you fully formed. And then the rest came from that. Yeah. I mean, once I just try it out and if I get the voice, you know, that's kind of when I'm good to go. And I know that, 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 that I can tell the story, that I have a voice for the story. Sometimes, you know, it just doesn't happen, but, but I, I, I must've felt something when I started writing that she just, she just kind of came to me for yeah. pretty cool. Formed. Yeah. Yeah. It, so, so there's so much to unpack in this book and all we've got time for what I want to focus on today is really the writing side of it, because there's so much in this book that as a writer, you can relate to. There were so many instances that I was like, oh my God, yes, yes. Like I've been through this. Yes. Mm-hmm. So those are the things I'm going to ask you to, to focus on today. And yeah. so I, I'm going to read a few of uh, bits of your work back to you. I hope you don't mind. No. There's, there's, the part where Casey stands up and says her novel is the place where I am most myself. Maybe some of you have found this place already. Maybe some of you will find it years from now. My hope is that some of you will find it for the first time today by writing. And that just like resonated with me. It just, I was just like, yes, yes, that's where I'm most myself. And Mm -hmm. something that, you know, I hear so often from my creative writing students and our listeners and women is especially. It seems to be that doubt plagues women writers, especially. Yeah. It's true. it's not even imposter syndrome. It's just women feel like they don't have anything to say and that nobody will care. And I heard that echoed to me in this novel. Could you speak a bit about that? Yeah. I mean, it's not surprising. I mean, women have been told for centuries that they had nothing to say, that they had nothing to offer, that they belonged in the kitchen, that they belonged with the children, that they, you know, could not have a driver's license, have a credit card, you know, have a hysterectomy, a medical procedure, not until the something like 60s or something like that without without a man's permission. I mean, it, it is in our DNA, you know, and so we have to fight like hell against that. And and I had no idea that that is what I would write about in this novel. I, I didn't know that I had so much to say about men and women and writing and men and women in the restaurant industry or men and women in general in this culture. And that was kind of, you know, it was exhilarating to find it. I didn't even really realize it until I started having readers and people started commenting on it. So it wasn't like I had an agenda. I just, I, you know, what she felt just kind of came out of me and she was really observant and kind of angry, you know? And so it just it just came out. And I, I do feel like, I feel like men suffer in a different way from incredibly high expectations that are put in them on them from birth that they put on themselves. And so if they're just kind of middling at their career or they're, you know, there's this thing that kicks in that, that makes them feel like the world is denying them their glory. You know, I think women feel like if they're failing, it's their fault. And men feel like if they're failing, it's other people's fault. Yeah. That, 
a huge generalization and I think it's changing a lot, but I think with my generation of men, I think that's how they were raised. Yeah. And that came across in the book that she has, I mean, even in the opening pages, it's, it's her neighbor, well, her landlord, the person that she's renting from, and he asks about her book and he goes, how many pages have you got now? And she says a couple hundred maybe. And it says, you know, he says, pushing himself off his car, waiting for my full attention. I just find it extraordinary that you think you have something to say. And that was like on page two and my blood started <laughs> boiling. And, and, and here you show this other writer so perfectly who comes to a reading where there's a ton of people there for him, but he just doesn't feel like there's enough adoration and that he deserves so much more. Right. right. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it is so interesting. I, I noticed it at the Oscars. I don't know if you watched the Oscars on Sunday night. I watched a little, little pieces of it, but some white guy got up and accepted an award and he's like, he's like, oh, I never dreamed of getting this award. And then he said, oh, that's not true. I've been rehearsing this speech since I was five years old. And I was like, that's it. That's what you have that we don't have. <laughs> you know, yeah. I feel like we need to accept as women writers that it's just going to be there. It's ingrained in us. And the only way you can get past it is to just muzzle that voice. Just yeah. tell it to shut up and you it's just true. sit down and write anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not necessarily coming from you. It's coming, you know, from the culture. It's oozing in through many, many different ways. And it's not your fault that you feel that way. And it's true. Just ignoring. I, I just try to ignore the critic. I always tell myself, just ignore the critic uh, as much as I possibly can. I mean, the only time the critic critic is useful is when you're revising and you do, you do need a critical eye, but you don't need a machete. You know, like I don't, I, I, I don't know. I, you just need a critical eye on your, on your words, but you don't need a character assassination. And I think it's taken me years to, to not, you know, to, to learn how to not hate myself, you know, it's so important. Yeah. It's necessary to, to, to getting the work done. Yeah. It's just, it's giving yourself that permission and saying, I have something to say, and there will be people out there who care about what I have to say, you know, and, and just giving yourself that permission. And like yeah. you say, the critical voice is important when you editing and when you're revising, but having that voice shouting at you as you're sitting down to try and draft, that's, you know, that, that is the enemy of creativity. Yeah, so it is. And I also think that, that I never know what I have to say until it's written. And, and I think that's, that, that's one of the points I was really trying to get across in that scene is that, yeah, she doesn't think she has anything to say. She has no idea what she's going to say, but she's going to write anyway. And, and she's going to figure it out, you know, because everybody has something to say, you know, if you're really, really, really paying attention and listening to yourself and, and doing your best work, you do have something to say, but you don't necessarily know what it is until it's done. Yeah. I love that. And there were so many parts that I could relate to. So Casey gives the manuscript when it's done to the very first person who's going to read it. And this is her writer friend, Muriel. And can I just say to all of you out there, find your Muriel. Yes. Every writer needs a Muriel. This person who champions you, who champions your work, who's your cheerleader. And I just love the Muriel character. But then Casey's waiting for this feedback and Muriel's kind of nervous to read it because of course, if she doesn't like it, what is she going to say to Casey? And then she does come <laughs> back and she has wonderful things to say and that relief is just so palpable is this part of your you, you know do you have close friends writer friends who read your work as you're going along or do you wait until it's done and then you share it with them mm, that's a really good question I have a writers group here and we have been together for almost 20 years and we meet we try to meet every month and we don't usually 
make it. And I don't, I'm not a kind of person who wants to show my work along the way. I really like to get it to do the most that I possibly can alone before I show it to anybody else. And so usually I just hand in a manuscript to them and give them, you know, a month or two to read it. And then we reconvene. And then I, I just listen to everything they have to say. And I take notes and I don't say a word until the end. I think we, we allow at the end, you're, the authors are allowed to speak for about five minutes. But what we do also do on, in our monthly meetings, because we're all novelists and we don't, we, we can go long, long periods of time without having anything to read. And uh, so we have something called airings, which is you just choose one to three pages. You read them out loud and nobody is allowed to say anything except that was really nice. Like no criticism, no anything. It's just, I don't know what it is, but it, it really helps. It really, obviously you choose a couple of pages that you you, you kind of like that, you know, you're not horrified by. And uh, boy, it really, it really keeps me going. Just, just reading a couple of pages. So that's what we do. And then I give it to them and then I give it to my husband and then I give it to my, after that, after I do another revision, I give it to my agent and then my, and my editor. What you've just described your airings sounds very much like the Amherst writer's method. So there's this form of facilitation in writing called the Amherst, Amherst writer's method where people get together and they do writing prompts and they kind of write for 10 minutes and then they share the work, which is, I mean, it's a shitty first draft because yeah, exactly. you've just written it, right? Yeah. But people just say what they liked about it. And I feel like as writers, we spend so much time hearing what's wrong with our yeah, writing. So that, that that airing sounds amazing. I actually think I'm going to start that with my writing groups now oh, as good. well. I love oh, that. Good, good. And, okay. I want to ask you about your writing group. <laughs> no, no, I'm interviewing you, Lily. <laughs> We just registered my youngest kid for kindergarten. I cannot believe it. One of the tricky things about my kids being in French immersion school and not having French as a language myself is I'm honestly worried about how I'm going to assist with homework as they get bigger. They're young now, but I see it coming. We are honestly so lucky, though, to live in a city that's bilingual and we have bilingual friends and francophone friends. So I know it's going to be easy for our kids to pick it up. Me, on the other hand, I am worried about me. I grew up somewhere where French class was not taken seriously, and now I have to make up the difference. And that's where Rosetta Stone comes in. As the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app, it really immerses you in the language you want to learn. Rosetta Stone teaches through immersion, which is a proven way to learn a language. Instead of memorizing and drilling vocabulary words, you learn by matching audio from native speakers to visuals, reading stories, participating in dialogues, and other practical language skills to fast track your ability to communicate fluently. There are no English translations in the product. You're honestly getting trained to listen, speak, read, write, and think in your new language, which is what everybody wants. Rosetta Stone users especially love the speech recognition feature. As you practice speaking, Rosetta Stone uses advanced voice recognition technology to match your audio, the audio from native speakers, and then give you feedback on how well you're pronunciating the words so you can really hone those pronunciations. It offers 25 languages from Spanish, French, Italian, German, Chinese, Korean, Japanese, even Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. This is the best language program because they have been an expert in the language learning field for 30 years and used by millions. Thousands of companies and government organizations use Rosetta Stone to support language training online. Of all the apps, Rosetta Stone uses the best speech recognition technology, so it compares your sound waves to those of a native speaker for better feedback to improve. They have a patented speech recognition engine called True Accent, 
which is built into the program. As you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. The other language learning apps use speech recognition to detect what you said, but Rosetta Stone tells you how well you said it compared to native speakers. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Think about the cost of a one-month language course. Think about the cost of one-hour private tutoring sessions. With Rosetta Stone, you enjoy lifetime membership and accessibility on desktop or app. We have a special offer for you guys. That's 50% off. That's a lifetime access to 25 language courses on Rosetta Stone for 50% off. This is a steal. Do not put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the shit no one tells you about writing listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That We want you guys to go visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today, today. Are you looking for beta readers, some of whom might potentially become writing group members down the line? Are you wanting to be matched up with those writing in a similar genre or time zone so they can critique your work as you critique theirs at the same time? Your manuscript doesn't have to be complete to sign up for this 3,000 word evaluation. This particular matchup will be open to registrations from now until the 2nd of June with the matchup emails going out on the 3rd of June. For more information and to register, go to biancamaray.com, look for the beta reader matchup page and please spread the word the more writers we have signed up the better the matches will be so another thing that i want to read and i just love this as well casey and muriel are together and they're chatting about writing and here's this this part that unfolds so it goes muriel says i think i'm nervous about that scene you mean the lake scene yeah muriel got the idea for the lake scene before anything else all the other ideas grew around it i'm getting all wobbly about it you just need to write it out and get it over with i don't know why i feel this way it's like performance anxiety or something what if i can't get it up your readers will just spoon you and tell you it doesn't matter in the least and that it happens to everyone and oh my god I was laughing at that and it just I was I could relate to that so much because I feel like every writer when they sit down to write a book there is something that is hugely emotional something pivotal that they know can like make or break the book but then you keep tiptoeing around it because you're terrified to write that scene yes yes no and and it's often like a culmination scene like that you know which I think is why you know she compares it to an orgasm because you're it's true you're just everything in the book is leading up to it it's leading up to it and what if you know it's you just can't make it as big and wonderful as you want it to be I always feel that my always yeah. I, it's just terrifying it, I mean it's this big big match temperament thing it's like you know rising to the occasion I mean when she says what if it's about can't get it up well they'll spoon you when you have those kinds of scenes in a novel that you're working towards do you like put off writing them do you Mm. procrastinate writing them or are you like I'm going to write this damn scene first get it out the way and then I'll come back to it later or is it different for every book you write or every scene no I think I do it the same way and that is that I I don't want to write it until I know everything that is feeding into it you know and so I have to get there kind of organically and chronologically or at, at least you know chronologically within the way the book is reads 
And uh, I, I did. I mean, I, I, I think I probably wrote that because I had just experienced that with euphoria. Euphoria. It's true that the, the one of the first things I knew about these three anthropologists in, you know, Papua New Guinea in 1931 was that they had a, like a, a breakthrough, kind of a scientific breakthrough. They felt it was a little hallucinatory, and a lot of things happened that night. Like all of their issues, it's a big love triangle. You know, everything kind of. Exploded explodes that night. And I, I wrote everything, everything, everything up to it. And then I, I felt myself stalling, you know, like I just felt my, I, I could tell I, I, I was so worried that it wasn't going to come off the way I saw it in my head, you know, and the way I'd been excited about it for the entire process of writing the book. And if that couldn't come off, then the rest was not going to work. And, uh, but yeah, so I, 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 I stall. Yeah. I mean, because it is, because when you have this idea in your head, before you write the first word, this idea is perfect. It is everything yeah. you want yeah. it to be. And then you realize that you've only got, you know, 26 letters and you've got some punctuation marks and that's what you've got to that is the alchemy yeah. you have to make this vision come alive on the page yeah. oh yeah and yeah it, yeah it can be it can be absolutely terrifying so when you do those kinds of scenes do you then just keep coming back to them to try and make them as perfect as you can at what point do you know you need to put your hands up and just walk the hell away from them yeah I I, I just hack my way through it the first time and then I just keep going you know I mean that's that's really I think what I've learned from going from a short story writer where I like carefully, carefully, you know, made everything perfect as I went along to just like blowing through a novel. You know, you just, with that first draft, you just have to keep going. You have to keep the momentum going. So I would try to, I, I would go through a scene like that and then just head on to the end. And then in the second draft, apprehensively read it and hope that it wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And then, and yeah, just keep on working, working and trying to get a fresh eye by putting it aside for a couple of weeks and then coming back to it and reading it as a reader and really trying to, to see how it feels and uh, you know try, try to just experience it through the ex- through the uh, you know the, the whole heartedness of a of a reader coming to it the first time and uh and you know many drafts many many drafts <laughs> trying to get it right I sometimes wish as a writer that I could have selective amnesia so that you could write something and then forget you wrote it and come I back know. to see it with fresh eyes so that you can actually objectively look at it but you know that's so difficult because you just can't you've lost all objectivity along the way yeah no it's so true so true there's something here that I also wanted to read which was all of Casey's rejections so you put them on one page yeah Uh And so just to read, it starts, while we admire the scope of, we are grateful for the look at, your project did not strike a chord. This was not quite right for. Unfortunately, at this time, we aren't. Thank you for your submission, but we appreciate you thinking of us. We did not feel passionate enough. And all of the listeners out there who've been out on submission, who wait for weeks, sometimes months Mm -hmm. to get feedback from an agent and this, it suddenly pops in your inbox. Okay, with Casey, she was getting them posted back to her because the story takes place back when snail mail was was the way to do these things. I remember going out on submission and posting out whole manuscripts, which tells me how long I've been pottering around at this. But it's it's, it's amazing how we scan that that response and we're looking for the howevers, the buts, the it wasn't.
question for us. And you had to really go far back in your writing career to to <laughs> channel that, Lily, right? Well, not that it doesn't feel that far away. Definitely. It was so easy. I, I didn't even have to like go back to my old rejection letters or anything like that. It, they just I, I think I wrote that in about five minutes because I just remember, I just remember and I remember how it felt, especially the last one, the passionate one. I remember getting that for my first novel. And and I completely understood, you know, of course you need to feel passionate about the novel, but I couldn't, it, it was just, it was so painful to me that, that, that my novel had not elicited a passionate response. Yeah. <laughs> Something worse about that than any of the other phrases. Right. I mean, cause it's just like, it, it's the, it's the rejection equivalent of meh, you know, just like meh. It's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've, poured, I've poured my heart and soul into this and it meant nothing to you kind of yeah. thing. Um, and but- with Casey and with me at the same time that I was getting all these rejection letters, you know, I was also just getting my heart broken. Like I would be in relationships and it wouldn't work out. And, you know, it just felt like rejection all over the place. And, and, and that's a really hard thing when you're a young person, you know, yeah, rejection compounded with interest, man, it's <laughs> that stuff adds up. And then there's this other section here as well that I really related to. So after she's finished the book and she sent it off, she tries to start something new and it says, yeah, I tried to write something new. It's bad. And I stop after a few sentences, even though I didn't feel it at the time, I got into a rhythm with the old novel. I knew those characters and how to write them. I heard their voices. I saw their gestures and anything else feels fake and stiff. I ache for them. People I also once felt were stiff and fake, but who now seem like the only people I could ever write about. Yeah, I feel that way. I mean, (laughs) I I gave all, I gave Casey all my feelings about writing. Yeah, I very much feel that way. I mean, I'm just about to transition to another novel and, uh, and it's true. You, you don't realize how comfortable you feel until you have to let go and start something new. It's a weird, weird thing. Yeah. Well, you've been talking to imaginary friends for so long that they, you know, they feel real and suddenly you've got to, it's like being at a cocktail party and you have to insert yourself into another group of people and start talking to them and it's kind of awkward and you don't want to do it. And Uh, yeah. 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 And you don't know if they're going to like you and you're going to like them. It's going to be click, click and oh, terrible. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All of that. So we're at the end of a half hour, Lily. I can't believe it. The time has flown, but you know, I just feel there's so much relatable about you, your, you know, your experiences in terms of publishing and so much in terms of Casey that our listeners can really relate to. There's so much of that rejection. There's so much of that self-doubt, but you know, at the end of my podcast, I have this line that says, you know, keep at it. It only takes one yes. Mm. Uh, And, you know, that's the thing for Casey that changes her life. And I feel like for every writer, you know, you got your one yes that changed everything for you. Um, And and every published writer has that along the way. So is is there any words of advice, any words of wisdom that you would like to leave with emerging writers as they go through this this whole process of of rejection, trying again? I just urge you to, to have discipline and conviction and just stay with it. Don't give up. And, you know, I always quote the Nike quote, just do it. I feel like you just have to do it. Uh, You know, there's, there's so many ways to procrastinate and think your way around writing and blame others and blame yourself and blame your job and blame your boss and your kids and all that kind of stuff. But the truth is you just have to sit down and do the work. And if you're getting rejected, just sit down and keep doing some other work, you know, while you're waiting for, to hear a yes. I just, I just, I think the, the, 
the more you write, the better you're going to feel. <laughs> the only way out is through and there are no shortcuts. So yeah. definitely bum in the chair. And I love that as you were giving us that upbeat cheerleading sentiment, I could hear birds chirping in the background, which <laughs> sounded very chipper and upbeat as well. <laughs> Oh, that's great. <laughs> it, felt, it felt apt. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us, Lily. I hope I get to speak to you again down the line. Uh, and good luck with the with the new novel. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you'll join us for next week's show. In the meantime, keep at it. Remember, it just takes one yes. Here's the thing. Ever wonder why aspiring authors spend so much time trying to crack the code about how to get published? That's because no one who is in the daily grind like me has put all the pieces together in one place. It's Carly Waters here, and as your senior literary agent on the podcast with 15 years of experience in publishing, selling books, and teaching the business of publishing, I'm here to give you the clarity that will turn this hobby into a career. Inside my course, The Author's Publishing Playbook, we have monthly live Q&A sessions to cover your specific issues, but for the rest, there are over 40 video lessons that equal 10 hours of learning with professionally edited transcripts. The course will solve all your writerly problems, except write your book for you. That's on you. My course is a masterclass designed to teach writers how to prepare, pitch, publish, and promote their book in today's competitive publishing landscape. It's for career-driven writers, aspiring and published, who want to understand how to succeed in the business of books. There are over 20 worksheets, downloads, and plug-and-play templates for editing, querying, and marketing. You get lifetime access for the entire six-module course as soon as you purchase. As new content gets added, you have access to that as well. Don't forget, there's a mobile app on top of computer access you can learn on the go. Get started today to gain the career you've only dreamed about. And you guys get a discount. So at checkout, carlywaters.com course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. That's carlywaters.com course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. See you inside the course. Hi, everyone. This is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6 at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th, also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there. Here's the thing. Ever wonder why aspiring authors spend so much time trying to crack the code about how to get published? That's because no one who is in the daily grind like me has put all the pieces together in one place. It's Carly Waters here, and as your senior literary agent on the podcast with 15 years of experience in publishing, selling books, and teaching the business of publishing, I'm here to give you the clarity that will turn this hobby into a career. 
Inside my course, The Author's Publishing Playbook, we have monthly live Q&A sessions to cover your specific issues, but for the rest, there are over 40 video lessons that equal 10 hours of learning with professionally edited transcripts. The course will solve all your writerly problems, except write your book for you. That's on you. My course is a masterclass designed to teach writers how to prepare, pitch, publish, and promote their book in today's competitive publishing landscape. It's for career-driven writers, aspiring and published, who want to understand how to succeed in the business of books. There are over 20 worksheets, downloads, and plug-and-play templates for editing, querying, and marketing. You get lifetime access for the entire six-module course as soon as you purchase. As new content gets added, you have access to that as well. Don't forget, there's a mobile app on top of computer access you can learn on the go. Get started today to gain the career you've only dreamed about. And you guys get a discount. So at checkout, carlywaters.com course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. That's carlywaters.com course, use code POD15. That's code POD15 when you check out for 15% off. See you inside the course. Hi, everyone. This is Cece. If you're a fan of books with hooks, then you've probably heard me use the term interiority. I often catch myself saying things like, these pages need more interiority, or the interiority here needs work. And that's because interiority is a super important element of storytelling. It's what makes books unique. But as it turns out, a lot of you have questions about what exactly is interiority and how to properly weave it into stories, which is why I'm teaching my popular writing interiority class in a new two-day format. We'll meet on Thursday, June 6th at 8 p.m. via Zoom to cover all things interiority, including the difference between interiority and emotions, how interiority is different from telling, how to leverage interiority into plot points, how to strike a balance between interiority and mystery, and more. And then we'll meet again for a live cozy Q&A session on Monday, June 10th, also at 8 p.m. via Zoom, in which you'll have the opportunity to turn your camera on if you choose. If you're interested, check out the link in my bio on Instagram, and I hope to see you there.